From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We are back and we did it. We made it to another weekend. Coming up, Aubrey Gordon is going to tell us all about the untruths that she debunked in her new book, You Just Need to Lose Weight and 19 Other Myths About Fat People. We're talking about a web of attitudes and beliefs and policies that all sort of conspire to keep, in this case, fat people on the margins. But first, it's our chance to sit back, relax, and unwind from the week that was with two fabulous humans. With us this week, we have two of the hosts of the NPR show, Code Switch, Lori Lizarraga and B.A. Parker. Parker, Lori, hello. Hi, thanks for having us. Thanks so much for having us. We're happy to be here. All right, let's start with Oscar nominations. Everything, everywhere, all at once got the most nominations. Uh, Parker, you are a big movie nerd. What do you think? That was great. Like, uh, it's 11 nominations. I love every single person that's in it. I rewatched it for um, Lunar New Year. Oh, fun. And it's like, I cried again. I'm, I'm overjoyed. Yeah. I bet. It's so good. Was there anything that you thought like should have gotten time in the sun that didn't this year? Oh, this is like, I love Marcel. The spell with oh. The, uh, oh my gosh. Same. I know I got nominated for an animated feature, but like the script was so sweet. And that was yeah. another movie that like I sobbed through. Yes. And I knew it was never going to happen, but I really enjoyed Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Mm. I just thought it was really clever. And I think that should have got a little bit like the script should have got some recognition because mm. it shows Gen Z in a way that um, hasn't been represented yet. But I mean, a lot of old people are the represent the, are the Academy of his body. <laughs> and so like, they're like, ooh, these Gen Zers, I don't, I don't know them. Hot take though, Barker. That's a fair point. I feel like other ones that were getting a lot of like feedback right about not getting nominated the woman king viola davis mm, yes yeah. for sure and nope i feel like i've heard a lot about those two yes till also i think yeah for best actress that seems like a missed opportunity too yeah that best actress situation is really interesting mm-hmm. good performances and not so great movies i mean yeah <laughs> i oh i saw blonde that it, just, it ruined my day <laughs> Yeah, I heard and I've read some really great scathing critiques that made my day, but I am glad I didn't spend the time actually watching it. It's just watching a woman get um, abused for two yeah. and a half hours. It's yeah. like every scene. Which is like, welcome <laughs> to life. Not great on that. Austin Butler's nomination, I guess, was another one that I, I feel like I have family members. I haven't seen mm-hmm. Elvis Presley mm-hmm. yet. I need to. Mm-hmm. It's very long. But I had family members who are huge fans of Elvis and loved it and other family members also huge fans and weren't totally sold so i'm not entirely sure what that austin butler nomination huh. means to me yet i haven't seen it Lori, he's fun he's so fun in it i mean the movie's long I, yeah mm, but he's fun. i quite enjoyed him on <laughs> snl well that's, yeah so it's basically all of that energy but put into a lot of like hip wiggling and um a deep voice it's amazing. It's, which it cannot be overstated. That is a lot of hard work. And his voice, I was mm, totally sold yeah. on. Yeah, that's a good point. It's funny because I feel like whenever we end up talking about movies on Nerdette, I feel like I end up inevitably saying, like, putting out a plea for more 90-minute movies. You know? Oh, my God. Listen, okay. You're here. I feel like any movie that wins Best Picture this year should be the one that's under, 20, under two hours. Right? Just to set a standard. The only two are, like, Women Talking and mm. the Banshees of Inna Sharon. Mm. Have we seen Women Talking? 
no, I really want to. And I loved Sarah Polly's reaction to being nominated as director for that film with the selfie in the doctor's office being like, wow, I really underestimated what was going to happen today. That is fantastic. Good for her. She's got to live her life. She's running errands. She's doing things. She's checking things off the list. Life keeps going. (laughs) Have you seen it, Lori? I haven't. I feel like Mm. I'm behind on every single show in every single movie. I mean, to be fair, currently we are women talking. Ayo. That is so true, Parker. I don't know how much value it holds here, as I cannot comment <laughs> on the movie that got nominated, but... But I like it. I like it a lot. It's a good well. hang, and that's what we're going for. <laughs> yeah. There you go. We're not midnight in the shed, but that's okay. And thank God. Yeah, thank God. (laughs) Okay, so the next thing I want to talk about is this story about tipping that we saw earlier this week. It's an article from the Associated Press. And the headline is, Is Tipping Out of Control? And it's essentially making the argument that more and more people are getting upset about tip jars at drive through windows. Also, like with the pandemic, more and more people are using that electronic checkout interface at stores, which, you know, prompts you to tip. And people are getting upset about it. I think this is a really interesting one. Of course, inflation is also adding to the pain of things. But, you know, it's also like I think a lot of us early on in pandemic days really wanted to make sure we were supporting these people who are in these hazardous jobs as much as absolutely possible. Like, I know I definitely tipped more than I had before. Definitely. Um, But, I mean, like we're almost three years into this thing. You know, we're not getting the benefits we were getting from the federal government around living in a pandemic anymore. So I do get the idea that it's a little more complicated. Uh, What do you think, Lori? I will say I'm getting asked to tip at places that I wouldn't normally get asked to tip at, though. Right. Yeah, that happened to me. um, Where's the unlikely tip? I feel like local stores, especially like locally owned stores are are using the iPad type checkout systems. And when you check out, they do prompt you to tip oh, also. I do tip on the iPad. I do do the yeah. 20% of like, like, like an ice cream cone. And it's when you're like buying something from a store that isn't like food and, and really like you shopped for it, put it on the table and then someone checked you out. So right. it's hard to like, do I, do I tip? And if I don't, is, is that a terrible thing? I That's feel like the one the, that the I social have a hard norm about with. it is really, I am, I am, I am, I'm struggling. Yeah, I don't want to be an asshole. I want to support your work. I'm already spending a lot on this cute bottle of wine that I'm getting around the corner from my house with a cute little (laughs) shop. Do I need to tip on that? Is that, you know, even a scoop of ice cream, I'll tip on that because you like, I used to work in an ice cream shop. Scooping is hard, you know? (laughs) The upper body strength is real. And thank you for the samples. Like, you know, I feel like I got something out of that. But if I just, if I picked the shirt and took it off the hanger, I right. am confused about what I'm tipping on. Just explain it to me. And I feel yeah. like then I'll have a more of an inclination to do it. I don't think I've ever paid attention if there was like a tip, a tipping situation at like a clothing store, maybe a, a consignment shop. Mm. Well, I mean, it was so there's someone in the article cites um, being asked to tip her mortgage company, which I think is outrageous. No. No. No, That's taking you. advantage of a good thing. Yes. And then we actually, so I posted this link to our little uh, Nerdette Facebook group just to see what Nerdette listeners thought about it. And a friend of mine didn't post on the original article, but she just texted me and she was like, my dermatologist asked me for a tip the other day. And that's another one where I'm like, I'm sorry, (laughs) healthcare? Like, are you kidding? Like that, that to me is just like completely outrageous. That is crazy. Wait, can they, can they accept tips? 
<laughs> right? That does that. That seems questionable, and we might. I'm let's... pretty sure that was like a Scrubs episode years ago, where the surgeons <laughs> tried to have a tip jar, and they're like, "You can't do that." Is that a tip jar? Look, I'm figuring that those lumps down at the coffee shop can have one. I can too. Well, it's like, I'm sorry, you, like, that's a, you know, I, not that that isn't hard work, but like, that's at least a well-paying profession. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, if you're a minimum wage worker right. and you're already, things are hard yes, like food service. Is, yes, yeah. absolutely. And that, you know, the, the article also quotes someone who works at a coffee shop and is essentially like, yeah, it's pretty frustrating that people who want to buy like $6 cups of coffee are annoyed by tipping, you know? And I totally that get that fair. point of view. It's like. I think the other side of this argument is that we should all be factoring in tip when we're thinking about what we're able to afford because a lot of these folks aren't making hardly anything. And that's atrocious. You know, I do think that since the pandemic, I have been a lot more generous. I think my standard now is tipping 20 percent as like Mm -hmm. the norm and then going up from there. And I am glad about that. For sure. Well, and the great thing about 20 percent is that the math is really easy, you know, so a lot easier than 15 (laughs) percent. So another story that caught our attention this week was one that came out about Elvis Francois, who's a Dominican man who got lost at sea for 24 days. This story is atrocious. I do not want to undermine the like inherent trauma and horror that must have been involved with like bailing water out of your boat and trying to survive out in the ocean for 24 days. But I have to say the thing that really caught our attention with this story is the fact that this man survived off of ketchup and seasoning cubes. And I just can't stop thinking about the ketchup thing. (laughs) Is ketchup nutritious in any way? It's probably just the sugar and the calories, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think less nutritious, more like sustenance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Should we be eating ketchup if it can sustain us and (laughs) on literally nothing else but ketchup? For three weeks. You do what you gotta do, Lori. <laughs> is this gonna be the new like paleo diet? Just the ketchup How many diet? calories are in that thing? <laughs> Why did it keep him alive? I have questions. I don't know. It's like when they say that Coca Cola or like sometimes like can clean a, a car engine battery and they're like, they can oh do my that. god. <laughs> yeah, like, like should, should I be drinking it? Drinking that? And I'm like, mm, I will still. <laughs> but I mean, I'm also a sucker. Every once in a while, I'll be around people who, who make a comment like that when I'm eating gummy bears or gummy worms she's a sucker for candy and they'll say like do you know how how that's made and i'm like oh i've heard i've heard tell but it doesn't matter it doesn't matter like this this is a train that's already left the station <laughs> i just i just had some gummies before See? This- two smart women eating their gummies before getting to work <laughs> they're, they're fruit snacks they absolutely they give you energy yeah and they oh also my help God. my mood improve that's amazing i love it what is your go what is your go-to condiment yeah i'm a tapatio girl all the way Mm. but i'm also from texas so if there's ranch available you know i ask sometimes i (laughs) ask and people are like where do you think you are no we don't have ranch that's hilarious you do well in the midwest (laughs) so what's yours then parker go-to condiment Mm. um i guess mm, i guess barbecue sauce but that can't be yeah that's a good one i mean that's yeah is is ketchup just not the coolest condiment anymore i don't think that it's not cool i think in the context of this man surviving off it it's cool as fuck yeah <laughs> but wait how much how much ketchup was that is the question that is i the don't question. know i have no idea i recently went to trader joe's and got a 
sriracha roasted garlic barbecue sauce and it has changed my life i have wow to say. good deal it's so good and like i'm pretty sure you could just eat it with like anything and it would be great but that's one where it's like i don't want to try to survive off that because i think that would ruin my liking on it, i, I don't know? want to be in a situation where i'm having to quote unquote survive i feel like just daily <laughs> i just feel like we're daily up against you know trying to survive you know just try to push forward so it, hypothetically in like a in much more abstract way we are all trying mm. to survive That's i don't want the true. literal struggle of having to survive and eat whatever is around me so i feel very bad for this man but props to him Oh, my gosh. But, Lori, I really like your point, and I think we should focus on that. I think we are all surviving, <laughs> and I think we all deserve a treat. And whether that's gummy bears mm. or whatever else, I think I think we should go forth and celebrate the fact that we made it, you know? Absolutely. Welcome to the start of 2023. We're already calling it We Made It, but that's just that's just believing in ourselves. <laughs> Listen, it's about the small victory. That's okay. just believing in ourselves. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Parker, Lori. Lori, thank you both so much. This was very fun. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thanks for having us. <laughs> After the break, we are going to hear from the delightful and incisive Aubrey Gordon. Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. Our next guest is Aubrey Gordon. She is the co-host of Maintenance Phase, a podcast she hosts along with Michael Hobbs. They describe it as a show that debunks the junk science behind health fads, wellness scams, and nonsensical nutrition advice. Aubrey's newest book came out earlier this month. It's called You Just Need to Lose Weight and 19 Other Myths About Fat People. Even with that title, Aubrey has some pretty complicated feelings about the act of myth-busting. It's a weird exercise where you say the wrong thing so that you can then say the right thing. And it feels weird to say the wrong thing this much, right? And the list of wrong things is long. Aubrey tackles untruths like being fat is a choice or fat people don't experience discrimination. Or did you know that we are not actually in the middle of an obesity epidemic? We live in a world now where more and more people are getting more and more accustomed to spotting anti-fatness in the wild. And when that happens, those people are getting totally stymied about how to respond to it. Instead of changing minds, Aubrey's intention is to provide tools. The goal of this one was much more to give those folks who are spotting anti-fatness in their day-to-day -day lives more grounding to feel like they have the sort of backing that they need to interrupt that anti-fatness mm -hmm. and to talk about it in the moment. Well, I love it because you you said something along the lines of sort of like, let this compel you to, to advocate for fat people beyond ways that you're already comfortable with or that yeah. feel easy which I love and think is, you know, super resonant with a lot of what I've been learning about in my own anti-racism work, too. Right. Mm. Where it's sort of like, OK, like what what are you doing with your privilege and how are you sitting with it? And how are you kind of pushing your own boundaries in what's comfortable to, to help other people in the world? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, listen, the comfortable thing 
when, you know, someone is being awful to a fat person in public, the comfortable thing is to say and do nothing. That's always mm -hmm. the comfortable thing, right? right? Is to sort of retreat to our own comfort zones. And the trick is when we do that, then fat people like me get a very clear message that we aren't worth standing up for, that we aren't worth yeah. defending, and that the person who is um, bullying us or pushing us around or treating us wrong um, is right, right? Like that's the mm -hmm. message that we send, whether we mean to or not. So this feels like a real place to get in alignment with like, how do we think of ourselves versus how are we showing up and try and get those mm -hmm. things matched up? Totally. So I would love to define some terms. You do this early in the book too. And I think it's really helpful. When you mm. say fat, what do you mean? Uh, when I say fat, I mean a neutral descriptor for a body yeah. type. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, this is a tough one for folks to get to sometimes um, because this is a word that we have laden with a lot of cultural and personal baggage. Um, and what that means is when I say I'm a fat person, a bunch of people will pipe up and say sweetie no don't say that yeah. about yourself you would curvy right which like no i have like one curve right <laughs> <laughs> i am not i am like sort of like an egg-shaped person right <laughs> like so like there's not that's not correct i'm also not fluffy that's my dog right? oh, like, yeah fluffy doesn't make any sense to me at all yeah there's sort of all of these other words that folks will offer up that are mostly about their own discomfort with hearing someone just straight forwardly call themselves fat because they're mm -hmm. attaching all of their own baggage about like, uh-oh, being fat means being unlovable. It means being isolated. It means mm -hmm. being unintelligent. It means mm -hmm. all of these sorts of different things. And they're assuming that I'm saying all of those things about myself when I'm just saying, you've seen me and I've seen me. I'm a fat person, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Like that is yeah. all I am saying. For me, it is as neutral as saying I have blonde hair or blue eyes or... I'm 5'10", or what have you. Mm -hmm. So you also avoid the term fat phobia, and you say that it's less about fear, the word fat phobia, and more actually about oppression. This makes total sense to me, but it did take a second. Can you explain that? Yeah, absolutely. So I read a fantastic piece uh, some years ago uh, by Denari Monroe that is really wonderful that sort of unpacks this idea of, you know, we shouldn't actually call oppressive attitudes phobias because... Mm -hmm. A, phobias are real things. Uh, sure. And people who have phobias are not necessarily like terrible oppressors, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so like that's thing one is like actually give phobias their own sort of space and integrity to be what they are without heaping on more stigma there. But also because when Jordan Peterson gets on Twitter and starts yelling about a plus size swimsuit model being on the cover of Sports Illustrated... Maybe he's afraid, maybe not. Either way, mm. he's a jerk about it, yeah. right? Like, yeah. that is a jerk move to complain about having to see someone else's body. And I think it's worth naming um, that these are, like, actively bad behaviors that might not have, like, a deeper psychological, you know, sort of cause or reason for them. They might just be folks who are experiencing profound discomfort, folks who are experiencing what they perceive as a loss of control over the mm -hmm. bodies that they are expected to look at, um, and folks who are behaving badly. And I think it's worth naming bad behavior. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, fat phobia, I mean, I think you're right about bad behavior, but I think it also doesn't really encompass the the systems of bias, right? Absolutely. So when we talk about sort of uh, 
fat phobia, when we talk about homophobia, when we talk about transphobia, all of these sorts of things, um, we are talking not only about individual attitudes, we're also talking mm -hmm. about institutional policies. We're also talking right. about widespread cultural practices, right? We're not talking necessarily exclusively about a series of individual actions. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a web of attitudes and beliefs and policies and practices that all sort of conspire to keep, in this case, fat people on the margins. Mm -hmm. So you reported the shit out of this book. <laughs> um, it cannot have been easy. I also, you know, especially given, you know, you're talking about like people being put to the margins. I feel like so much of the work that you're doing is pointing out flaws in things that are super frequently cited and kind of considered just like fact of the day. I think especially yeah. about, you know, your myth number six, which is that obesity is a leading cause of death in the United States. Um, how do you even go about debunking something like that? Well, some of this is stuff that we have uh, had sort of researched in the course of making different episodes of our podcast maintenance phase. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. And this leading cause of death one was a big one. Um, the number that most folks may be sort of accustomed to hearing is that either 400,000 or 360,000 fat people die every year just from being fat, period. Right. Um, right. And in that case, the reporting is genuinely just, hey, maybe find that original study and read it. Mm -hmm. Because in that original study, they acknowledge in their methodology section that they are assuming that every fat person who dies in excess of every thin person who dies. So if more mm -hmm. fat people than thin people die in a year, they are assuming, according to that methodology, that all of those fat people died just of being fat. Which is insane. Right. No car crashes, no lightning striking, no house fires, <laughs> no nothing, no nothing. <laughs> just you just were fat and then you just drop dead. Right. <laughs> Which is a wild assumption to make. And what yeah. is underreported, because that's a big sensational number that is really attention grabby and that is absolutely what it's designed to be, other estimates, which are also credible, and I would argue more credible, are down around 20,000 fat people dying hmm. each year, right? Like, so that's a huge gap to account for. And the fact that we're only really hearing about one of those numbers, and it is the highest and most alarmist sort of number, yeah, um, feels yeah. like we should reintroduce some nuance into that conversation and talk about this very live debate about how you determine something that's really difficult to determine. Yeah. Well, and the analogy you draw, which I thought was great, was like, this is essentially like saying that anyone who died while wearing Levi's died of Levi's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Essentially. yeah. Your jeans killed you. <laughs> Surprise. Like, jeans with a J. Yeah. <laughs> We're on the radio. <laughs> I need to specify spellings here. But like, oh my God. yeah, it's bonkers, right? Like it is sort of a wild assumption to go, well, I've made an observation about the appearance of everyone who's died in this sector. And therefore, they must have died because of that aspect of their appearance. Rather mm -hmm. than going, hey, maybe somebody had an aneurysm. Maybe somebody had cancer. Maybe like maybe fat people die yeah. of similar reasons to thin people. Mm -hmm. um, but either way, making this sort of wild leap of every fat person who dies, uh, died of being fat. Also, I will say without accounting for 
the massive amounts of bias that many healthcare providers hold, which leads to yes. postponement of care, misdiagnosis and mistreatment, right? That leads to all of these sort of different health outcomes for fat folks. Like if it's not also acknowledging that, then we're also missing a huge piece here, right? Yes. So yeah, you do a similar thing. Speaking of big numbers and speaking of medical discrimination around the idea of the obesity epidemic, which I think is one that is also kind of widely just considered to be a thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that was one that really kind of blew my mind. <laughs> you mean just to see how actually fucked up it was? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I. That's really interesting to me because you're looking at this stuff all the time and even you are still like, oh, this is terrible. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. I mean, I think. Huh. Um, you know, there was one study that I looked at at one point that uh, was talking about sort of the rates of mistreatment of fat people by doctors. Uh, and one of the things that they noted was that fat people were often more optimistic than their care uh, providers could sort of bear out, right? That uh, fat Lord. people sort of kept their hopes up and care providers, um, you know, failed to meet those hopes. And I feel like I yeah. end up doing that quite a bit. <laughs> In the reporting of this book, whoops, that I was like, you know, I can't be that bad. (laughs) Totally. Like my entire adult life has been sort of uh, under the shadow of this reporting about an obesity epidemic. And I just uh, assumed Mm. that that was objectively true, right? That suddenly there had been a big spike in fat people all of a sudden in the late 90s or early 2000s. And that as most Americans have, uh, have assumed and have been led to believe that that was down to individual behaviors and lifestyle choices. And Mm -hmm. what you actually find when you sort of look into that story is that body weights have been rising pretty steadily since the 1960s or 1980s, depending on sort of which researchers you ask, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That there wasn't really a big spike, but that we actually just moved the goalposts of Hmm. um, what someone's BMI number needs to be in order to be considered medically, quote unquote, overweight or obese. Um, There was a great CNN lead about this that uh, just said millions of Americans woke up fat on Wednesday (laughs) without having gained a pound, which is just like these regulations went into effect that reclassified fat bodies um, and reclassified previously sort of quote-unquote normal weight folks as now quote-unquote overweight and previously quote-unquote overweight people as now quote-unquote obese. Mm. And that's a big part of how we got an obesity epidemic, right? Um, Mm. That, again, feels like really important nuance to add back into a conversation that is often led toward, again, these like really brutal, really personal assumptions about why people are fat and how they got that way. And the idea that other people being fat is somehow a social contagion for people who are Mm. not fat, right? That this Mm -hmm. is now, not only are these people you don't want to have to look at, they're now also some kind of threat to your own health and safety. And that's what the Mm. sort of framing of an epidemic does. And it supercharges Mm -hmm. stigma, right? Is part of the sort of fallout of that is that there's absolutely a huge spike in anti-fat bias. Right, right. So yeah, what, I don't know, maybe in the next year, maybe in the next five years, like, I'm just curious, you've spent so much time in the space between the books and the podcast, like what, what to you does progress look like in the near-ish future? 
I will say there is a big promising effort from uh, NAFA, the National Association to Advance Fat Acceptance. Um, they're mm. one of very few sort of fat advocacy organizations in the U.S., uh, and they are pushing hard to pass some local non-discrimination laws, local and statewide non-discrimination laws. So essentially... Um, folks may not know that in the U.S., in order to be protected from employment discrimination, you have to be considered part of what is uh, called a protected oh, class. Protected. Yeah. yeah. Um, and fat people are not currently a protected class outside of two states. Um, so we got some wow. work to do there, right? It is yeah. totally perfectly legal in the state that I am in, the state of Oregon, to fire someone and say, I'm firing you or I'm not hiring you because you're a fat person. That is wow. absolutely totally above board legal. Uh, and that's true in 48 states, all told. So we've got some work to do to make sure that fat people can actually access housing and employment and public accommodations and all kinds of health care, right? Free from discrimination and with legal recourse when discrimination does occur. It's at once sort of like disheartening that this is the place that we're right. in. Yes. And also uh, feels really, really important and really hopeful to me that that's great. Well, Aubrey, thank you so much for coming on. This was just the best. You're great. Oh my God, you're great. I will come back truly anytime you ask. <laughs> All right, that's it for this week. Thanks to all of you for listening along and especially to those of you who chimed in on our tipping conversation over in Nerdat headquarters. You can join the conversation as well. Join up at facebook.com slash groups slash HQ. Of course, we are also on Instagram and Twitter as Nerdat Podcast and we would love to hang with you there too. The show is produced by me along with Anna Bauman and Brendan Banazak is our executive producer. We will see you next week. How often are condiments coming up in these conversations? More than you think. Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Meantime, it was chaos today at the Chicago City Council. A Chicago cop with a controversial past is running for judge. Other times you're looking for a deeper understanding of what's going on in the city. Wow, that's so, no one has asked me that question. The Rundown Podcast has all of that and it's Chicago based. So you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts or at wbez.org slash rundown.